Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. Here's Hendo. Hi, Hendo. I'm Dean. Have you met my finger? <laughs> I want to. That's what you want to hear every single week, isn't it, Hendo? <laughs> Have I? <laughs> and today I'll be breaking down the Stanley Kubrick horror classic, The Shining. Dean, how you going, mate? How's things? How you been? Tell us your story. What's been going on? How's your life? There's so many questions, Hendo, one at a time. But you needn't bother because they're all the same answer. Yeah, yeah I've, I've done like nothing. It's been a very quiet week for me. I have no exciting stories at all, to be honest. Uh, I just worked more than I usually do. What about you? Please bring some laughs to the start of this episode. No. Oh, I figured. <laughs> I'm the same, man. I've done nothing this week. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Come on, man. <laughs> No, nothing to report, honestly. Awesome. Well, this is a great oh, opening no. to the Jeez. Shining breakdown. Hope it only gets better from here. But, Hendo, what else are we doing today? Well, after our breakdown of the Shining, we're going to take a look at some reviews that you, the listeners, have left for us. And I must say, there have been a lot of reviews, Hendo. Everyone's coming out to drop some Shining reviews. There's a lot of passion out there for The Shining. Lots of passion. I wonder if we have the same passion. Well, we will soon know. And then after that, we'll take a look at our question of the week, which is, fittingly, what is your favourite Stanley Kubrick film? Not too many choices. Not at all, but I think it's still a good question because it's all about really what the number one is. Yeah, pretty much. Because there's so many, there's really, there's a few like strong contenders and then there's Daylight, I think. Yes, finding out the number ones is going to be crucial when you have a look at our top fives to see who's going to win our competition this week. And then after that, we'll take a look at our results in the Pod v Pod v Pod movie draft that we did last week on horror films. We'll take a look at the next set of matches of our best 2000s film tournament. And then after that, it's Dean's turn to pick a movie this week. What are your thoughts on that? You got something lined up? I do, actually. It's funny because the last few times I've had um, a choice, I've had this one movie that keeps coming to me like, yeah, this is the time I'm going to pick it. And again, I'm not going to pick that one. So <laughs> I went I went for something that I think's a lot funner. I think it'll be fantastic to break down and I can't wait to talk to you about it and reveal what it will be at the end of the episode. Sounds good to me. All right, mate, let's get into it. Give me the update. All right, Hendo, what's the update on the IMDb Top 250? Is Joker at number one yet? It'll never be number one because it has dropped three spots down to number 13 now. Fair enough. It'll be interesting to see where that stops. Because I think it will keep dropping for a while. Yes, it will. Good news for you, though. Fight Club's back in the top 10. Hey, <laughs> we're back. I see that M has gone down from 86 to 88. Sunset Boulevard has dropped three spots down from 65 to 68. Let's look on the positive side of things here, Dean. Inglorious Bastards has taken over the M spot, has gone from 88 to 86 now. Ikaru has gone from 112 to 110. And Parasite has gone from 71 to 64. Wow. It is rising. It is a beast, this film. Where do you think it's going to end? Top 30? No, because I think at the moment... Top 50. I think at the moment the people watching it are like your diehard film fanatics, whereas if it actually... The problem is, like, it's not like the general audience is ever going to see this in droves, are they? Like, really, if you're going to watch this film, you're probably a film lover, and if you're a film lover, you're probably going to enjoy a film like Parasite. And I feel like when it inevitably gets a lot more buzz when it comes Oscar season, people are going to be like, hmm, let's go check this out, and they'll love it. Like, basically everyone should. I mean, going up seven spots in one week now, is that's a lot. Yeah. It's so high. Like, it's 64 now. Like, you say top 50. I don't think that's ambition enough. Top 30. Like, in two months, what's going to be higher, Joker or Parasite? Parasite, for sure. For sure, you reckon? Do you want to have a bet on this? 
In two months. Not really. Oh, look at you, you chicken shit. Because <laughs> you're probably Can't even right. back up your, your awesome Joker film. What's that? Eight weeks. Let's say it averages dropping three spot. That's down 20. That'll be at 30. Uh, nah, nah, no way. But looking right down at the bottom of the list, out now is one of the Drishams. I can't remember which one it is. And in its spot is Neon Genesis Evangelion, the, event, the end of Evangelion, back again for a little stint here. Who knows where that will go from here. But that is the update for the top 250 list. All right, before we get into The Shining, just a quick word of warning. We will be spoiling this film from the absolute get-go. So if you haven't had a chance to see it, you've been warned. And with that being said, let's get into The Shining. The Shining is a 1980s psychological horror drama film produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick, co-written with novelist Diane Johnson. The film is based on Stephen King's 1977 novel The Shining. It stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, and Danny Lloyd, with cinematography by John Olcott. Do you know what else he's done, mate? Yes, I believe he also did uh, other Kubrick classics like A Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon. Very good. Good work, mate. So because Danny Lloyd was so young at the time and since it was his first acting job, Stanley Kubrick was highly protective of him. During the shooting of the movie, Danny Lloyd was under the impression that the film he was making was actually a drama, not a horror movie. He only realised the truth uh, a couple of years later when he was shown a heavily edited version of the film. He didn't see the uncut version until he was 17, 11 years after it was made. Yeah, I must say, like, hats off to Kubrick here for being just such a supportive director of his actors. I think it's, you know, it, it shows what sort of character he is. We'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get to some of that, I'll tell you. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick considered Robert De Niro and Robin Williams for the role of Jack Torrance, but decided against them. I mean, I agree that they're not great choices. Yeah, Kubrick thought De Niro wouldn't suit the role after watching his performance in Taxi Driver, as he thought De Niro was not psychotic enough for the role. He did think that Williams would suit the role after watching his performance in Mork and Mindy, though, but in the end, he deemed him too psychotic for the role. I, don't, I think he would have been terrible. We've seen one-hour photos. Uh, yeah, but that's like a, a quiet, like, sort of, you know, psychological sort of thing. Robin Williams can't be doing the old Jack Nicholson yelling and raging. Raised eyebrows. Yeah. You did mention earlier about Stanley Kubrick and his directing ways. He, he was very nice to Danny Lloyd, but uh, that's probably where it ended. There's There's been some horror stories that have come out about, you know, meticulous director Stanley Kubrick and what he did to some of these actors. Yeah, in particular, Shelley Duvall, who, from the sounds of it, he just psychologically tortured her for the almost one year that this film took to shoot. Yeah, she suffered from nervous exhaustion throughout the film, including physical illness and hair loss. I mean, hair loss is big. Like, yeah. you've got to be really stressed out to lose your hair. I actually saw a video clip of the making of The Shining and it shows footage of her pulling her hair out saying, look, I'm losing clumps of hair. But Stanley Kubrick had basically told everyone, do not give her any sympathy. Like, don't make her feel good about it at all because, you know, we want her to be broken down as much as possible for this character. And you actually see him on the on the clip saying, like, who cares? Like, don't show sympathy for Shelley. Yeah, I mean, you understand where he's coming from. And it was a different time back then. People could do that and get away with it. Obviously, now that... You'd like to think that wouldn't happen, but, you know, after the fact, Kubrick has come out and said what a fantastic performance, you know, Duval gave and has praised her. But, you know, the damage is obviously uh, severe. But having said that, I did read that Shelley Duval actually didn't regret doing it at all, but it was just the hardest 
you know, she's ever had to work, basically. Yeah, you're exactly right. Shelley Duvall, she, yeah, she obviously had a massively rough time with this, but she's, you know, spoken about it and said she was just fine with it. You know what probably would have made her feel better, though? The old golden raspberry nomination she received for- I don't uh, get that. <laughs> I don't get that. Same with Stanley Kubrick. Got a, Kubrick. Got a Razzie nomination worst for worst director. director. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, sure. this wasn't that. This wasn't well received when it first came out, and you know, since since its release, people have you know, it's, it's sort of like the uh, the thing. People have cottoned on, and you know, the ratings have gotten higher. The the praise for it has been consumed over the the lifespan of the movie. Yeah, for sure. Wasn't just uh, Shelley Duvall as well. Jack Nicholson was only fed cheese sandwiches for two weeks straight to get into his agitated mood because he apparently he hates cheese. I hate cheese sandwiches. I didn't even realize cheese sandwiches was a thing. It's cheese and bread. Have you ever had a cheese sandwich? Not sure. not melted, just a cheese sandwich. Sure, probably. I don't not, not recently. So. Yeah, I don't think so. That's a, that's different. Nicholson said as well that there were so many changes to the script during shooting that he ended up stopped reading all these extra changes. He just read the new page the next day it was given to him. Which surprises me because everything I read about Kubrick makes me think that he's highly particular and I imagine super organized. So having script changes daily is very it's it sounds chaotic. Yeah, the whole meticulous director here, there's all these stories as well about multiple, multiple, multiple takes of all these different shots. Like even someone's saying like Guinness World Records of like over 100 takes for one particular shot. There's many conflicting stories about how how many how many takes went for each scene, but it's fair to say that Kubrick stopped at nothing to get what he wanted. Yeah, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. In particular, Scatman Crothers, apparently Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, he was a bit harsh on, I think he was... Uh, quite old at the time. I think he was maybe... 60. 60, yeah. And he yeah, he made him work for it. To the point where Jack Nicholson actually sort of intervened and said, listen, Kubrick, can we can we just let it go now? Like, he's done enough. Yeah, he, he broke him down to the point where Scatman was literally in tears saying, what do you want from me? What Like, just tell me what you want. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's sort of what... This is what Kubrick's going for. He wants people to be in this mind frame of just broken down and done, which is what these characters are throughout this film. Funny enough, Scatman Crothers' next film was Bronco Billy, directed by Clint Eastwood, and he's very well known for Let's Just Get It Done. So his first uh, take on a scene he was doing, one take done, and he just went, <laughs> what? And he literally like ran over and gave Clint Eastwood a hug, like, thank you, thank you so much. As you would. It'd be mentally exhausting. So another thing Kubrick wanted to do was shoot the film in the script order. This meant having all the relevant sets standing at all times. In order to achieve that, every soundstage at the Elstree Studios was used with all the sets built, pre-lit and ready to go during the entire shoot at the studio. Yeah, I did see that this actually postponed other movies from being filmed because he was taking up every single set, including Raiders of the Lost Ark, I believe. That's right. But this was released on the 23rd of May in 1980 with a runtime of 119 minutes, which is the version that I watched. I do believe there is a 146-minute version out there. Yeah, that's what I watched. Oh, you watched the longer one? Yep. Okay. I, there's some scenes that I did not see. That's okay. With a tagline of, the horror is driving him crazy. Ugh. <laughs> That's no good. Well, the the tagline on the more recent poster is the classic modern day horror. Like it's not even a, not even a play. It's just like this is how good this film is. <laughs> yeah, they obviously realised how shit their first tagline was, and like <laughs> let's just put something generic. It'll it'll be fine. With a budget of roughly nineteen million dollars, it did gross forty five million dollars in America. And it mustn't have done, or it mustn't have been released too too far around the world because the worldwide gross is like an extra $500,000. Really? Yeah. What about those DVD sales though? Surely they were pretty good. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
they weren't. <laughs> so someone who has been quite vocal about this film is Mr. Stephen King. Extraordinarily vocal. He came out just bashing it, basically. Said it's not his source material. And his biggest complaint was that Jack Nicholson, you know from the very first scene, is crazy. Yeah, he described it as a fancy car without an engine. Yeah. He even had a script written written for the film, which Kubrick basically didn't even look at. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm doing my version of this film. This is my adaptation. What threw me was that because Kubrick had bought the rights to it, when Stephen King wanted to come along later and make the miniseries or help contribute to that, he actually had to get permission from Kubrick to make The Shining miniseries, which is his book. It's crazy. Do you know how, you know what Kubrick said for him to get that permission? Yeah, apparently he said, you can have it, but you've got to stop bashing my film. Like, all you can say is that you didn't like Jack Nicholson because he looks crazy from the start, basically. Yep. Have you seen that miniseries? I haven't. I saw it when I was a lot younger, but I don't really remember it. What do you, what's your opinion on this whole, it's not like the book, it's completely different to the book? It's fine. Like, it's its own thing. Yep. And that's okay. It's taken- It's an adaptation. Yeah. It's taken some things and it's changed others and that's okay. Like, it's its own thing and it needs to be judged as its own thing. And I think this is a little bit of uh, Stephen King's ego coming in here going, well, this isn't the book that I wrote. You're right, because it's a movie adapted from your book. It doesn't have to be exactly like your book. And some things that have been changed weren't changed out of dislike of the things. It's just- at that time, they couldn't do it. For example, in the book, it ends with all these hedge animals coming to life. Yeah. And thankfully, Kubrick said, oh. well, we can't do that. Thankfully, they didn't try and do some terrible special effects. That would have been horrible. They just put amazing, which I thought worked well for the time. Something else that King didn't like was the casting of Shelley Duvall. Can you blame him? <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about the character. Are you talking about the performance? <laughs> I don't know. Put it all together. But yeah, in the in his book, the character of Wendy was like an ex cheerleader, like a blonde who would have who had had this perfect life, which would accentuate all the terrors that happened to her at the Overlook Hotel. Whereas in this movie, you can sort of feel like she's had, uh, you know, the the rough she's end gone of the through stick. a lot. She yeah. was very emotionally vulnerable. Yeah. Which, in all fairness, for my opinion, I think that's fine. I think that he also mentioned that Shelley Duvall was basically brought down to just this screaming heroine who's just there to scream and look scared. I don't believe that at all. I think Shelley Duvall puts in a really good performance for what she is. What do you mean for what she is? For the character that she is. Someone who just gets beat down emotionally throughout this film. That's the character. That's what she puts in. Now, we've obviously mentioned a lot about Kubrick being a perfectionist here. Apparently, uh, Saul Bass said that he made about 300 different versions of the film's poster before Kubrick was satisfied. I must say, I don't like the poster for this film. The yellow with the, the, yellow. With the screamy I, face. I don't think it's good at all. Does it look a little uncomfortable? No, it looks like an alien behind the letters. Really? I look at that and I think it's an alien movie. I don't get that at all. Well, it's because you know it's not. But if you step back no, for a second not that. and actually looked at it without you know your knowledge, then you would see an alien. I disagree. So who is that person on the poster? Probably Shelley Duvall, all scared and shit. See, I would have thought it's a male. Why? Because it looks like an eyes and mouth. Looks like a male alien. <laughs> a male alien? Yes. How can you tell the difference between a male and a female alien? The same way you can with humans. How? We're getting off topic. <laughs> <laughs> so the trailer for this film shows the scene of the, the blood in the elevator, right? The MPA doesn't allow blood to be shown in trailers to be shown from all ages. But Kubrick persuaded them to put the blood in because he told them that it was rusty water. And they're like, oh yeah, cool, no worries, put it in. I mean, surely there was money changing hands here. Maybe, a couple of under the table deals. There's no way anyone watching that would go, yeah, that's rusty water. Well, they did apparently. Idiots. 
But as always, let's take a look at the history of The Shining in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted on the first list ever and has never left. Well, that's pretty impressive. Where did it debut? Debuted at number 150. And what's it at now? Well, its highest rank was in 2012, where it finally rose up to number 44. And currently, it's sitting at number 62, with an 8.4 over 805,000 rating. So, nice steady upswing from when it came in, and a little tiny drop over the last couple of years. Mm. But since it's my pick, it's time for my plot summary, courtesy of IMDb. <laughs> a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter, where a sinister presence influences the father into violence, while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. What do you make of that plot summary? I mean, is it true? Does he see visions from the past? Yeah, the twins. Oh, yeah. Does he see visions? Yeah, he does too. Yeah, it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> it's good. All right, let's get into it, mate. The Shining. Man, that score kicks in, and you know you are in for just an incredibly tense ride. Yeah, no, the score the score is very uh, effective. It's very loud, like it's yep. all, and it's all over the shop as well. Like he used different composers to, you know, get this score. So it is a bit of a mix of tone, but that tone is always as a as a level of anxiety to it. Feels like a bit of dread as well. Yeah, yeah. But you get this long overhead shot of the car driving down the long winding road. It's basically showing you how isolated they're going to be. Like, it's just them and openness. Mm. We get some title cards here. What do you make of them? The scrolling text comes up. One thing that I noticed, I'm not too sure if it was meant like this or not, but the camera follows the car behind, right? But then as Jack Nicholson's name comes up and as Shelley Duvall's name comes up, the camera doesn't turn the corner with the car. It veers off course. Is that symbolizing these two are going to go off the rails? <laughs> what do you think of that? I think, I think we're starting conspiracy theories early. I mean, I just saw that and I'm like, oh, there's a reason why it doesn't follow this car around the corner. It just goes off into nothingness. Tay, you would like Room 237. No, no. I, I, I was going to watch it, but I'm like, it's just all crackpot theories. I watched, theory I watched most of it and they start off with this huge portion of it devoted to how The Shining is all about Native American Indians and what happened to them. And then I was like, okay, that's weird. And then this other guy comes on, adamant, the whole thing's about the Holocaust. And that's the and thing. And I was like, what? Yeah, it can't be about all of them. Like so- when, when, you look, when you actually hear them defending it, they're so weak, the arguments. Yeah, it's, like, it's all full of shit. See, there was this tin in the uh, cellar that had the Native American Indian on it, so that clearly... Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Sometimes there's just pictures of Native Americans. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I saw one of them was like, oh, uh, the typewriter was a German typewriter, so it's all about the Holocaust. Yes, I saw that. it's just Stanley Kubrick's typewriter, for shit's sake. Yeah. Yeah, people look too much into really minute details about something that isn't even there. They do. They see what they want to see. Yeah, much like what I just did. (laughs) Yes. Actually, one I'll try not to reference the room 237 too much. Yeah, but please don't. One, one bit that I found was hilarious is after the, the credits have rolled up and after you see directed by Stanley Kubrick and it disappears, they pause it and they're like, oh, you can actually see that they've superimposed a picture of Stanley Kubrick's face in, in the clouds and they pause it for ages. I'm staring. I'm like, are they, are they going to actually show where? There's no picture. <laughs> they just pause it like, see, next scene. I was like, what? There's nothing there. <laughs> now we get the interview here. Jack Torrance meeting with Mr. Altman. I love- Altman. Altman? Altman. I had Altman. Finite difference. Who cares? I love the line that Jack says here. Five months of peace is just what I want. Because he's going to get no peace whatsoever. No. Did you notice the tie that Jack was wearing? No. Why didn't you elaborate? Well, it's it's like the maze tie. 
It's this green tie that if you actually look closely, there's like all these rivets um, raised up and it looks like the hedge maze. Okay. I didn't see that. Nice little tidbit there. Yeah. One thing I noticed as well, well, actually I didn't notice, I I read it up, that the structure of the, the hotel itself is impossible. Yeah, there was a huge segment on the impossible window inside Mr. Ullman's office, which basically says that if you track, if you do like an overhead shot and track where they walk, by the time they get into the office, that window should be up against a a wall from where they've already been. But they have this window here that shines so much light and energy into the, the room. You've got the gnarly looking branches outside. But I mean, a lot, you just, you do, regardless of what you believe, you have to admire how much attention Kubrick put into this film. It's almost treating it like its own maze. Like we, you talk about mazes before, there's a big maze mm. theme in this film. I think this plays with it. So now we're introduced to Wendy and shit, what's his name? Danny. Danny. And Tony. Just, and- just before we go on here, just another thing about maybe Kubrick ch- trying to beat down uh, Shelley Duvall here. Is it, you know, Jack Nicholson's character is named Jack and Danny's character is named Danny. <laughs> and Shelley doesn't get her own name. She gets Wendy. Yes, something something different. You don't get your own name. Because I think in the book, his name's John. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, there you go. So, they did change it for Jack. <laughs> Can I be Jack? <laughs> I like that name. Yeah, but Tony, he's an uh, imaginary finger friend. Yeah. Now, apparently in the audition, Danny Lloyd actually just, this was his idea, or he just went in and started doing this finger talking, and Kubrick loved it. What do you think of his performance as a child actor? I don't mind it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. He didn't actually go and end up doing a career. He, I think he did one other film after this. He's like, yeah, it's not for me. I'm yeah. not going to do it. Fair enough. Yep, fair enough indeed. But in the novel, Tony is an actual like person like that he sees. Do you know any of this? No, I don't know anything about the novel. And it's revealed at the very end, the twist ending is, oh, not twist ending, but at the end when you see you actually see Danny older and he's accepting a, an award at college or graduating, whatever, and it is Tony. So I wonder how they're going to do that with Dr. Sleep coming up. So Tony is Danny, grown up. Yeah, well, like when I was watching this, there seems to be a bit more to Tony than meets the eye here. Like he knows Jack is going to call shortly. So it's not like just him playing with, you know, an imaginary friend here. Oh, for sure. Like <laughs> Tony is not an imaginary friend. No. He is a, a being. It also get that extra dread here because once you find out that what he says about Jack calling is true, so when Tony mentions that he doesn't want to go to the hotel, we get these flashes and you get the, the elevator of blood and you know, yeah. considering he's already predicted the future, this is probably what's going to happen. In fact, we've already spoken about Kubrick doing hundreds of takes of different actors and that. The blood elevator only took three takes for this one. However, it took nine days to set up each shot to get all that blood back there. Every time <laughs> Back he, there. Back, yeah, get the blood back in there. Push it back in there. Every time the blood would pour out, Kubrick would say, it doesn't look like blood, and they have to set it all up again. You bastard, Kubrick. I mean, you need someone like that making films. It took approximately a year to get right. You said it took them three goes and, and nine days to set up. Yeah, they didn't do them all in a row. So, I mean, <laughs> you, could, yeah, you could say it, it took a year from when they started to when they finished, but it didn't take a year for them to get it right. They got, considering from when they did the first one that wasn't right to when they did the right, the last one at the end, which was right, it was a year. But you're implying that they've spent a year trying. They haven't. They only tried three times. It took a year to get right. <laughs> Shut up. Take it how you will. All right. It's funny you say that because in the extended version that I watched, there was actually a lady doctor, pediatrician, who came to talk to Danny about, you know, various things, his imaginary friend and all this stuff. And one thing that I did read up on is... When you see Danny's bedroom door, there's all these stickers all over it. Did you catch any of this? 
I didn't watch the extended version. And one of the more prominent stickers that's closest to the end of the door is of the one of the seven dwarves, Dopey. Okay. And after he has these visions, right, Dopey is gone, symbolising he's no longer Dopey. He's been enlightened. He's more aware of the world now. Do you think there's any validation to maybe these are just continuity errors? <laughs> I'd just like to thank Room 237. <laughs> one more time. You can't help yourself. <laughs> um... Uh, I mean, they might be. Bet- I'm sure there's some continuity errors in this film and people have gone, no, it's Kubrick. It's it's meant to be what he did. You talk about continuity errors. There's another big one later on when uh, Wendy goes to see Jack when he's first typing and there is this very prominent chair in the background, right? Yeah. When Jack's talking. Then you cut to Shelley, cut to Jack, the chair's gone and it's this huge, like, oh, my God. And it's like, it could have been a mistake. Probably was. I love how Kubrick gets this pass, though, where when people actually find mistakes, it's like, nah, not a mistake. He's so, he he's, so, he's so articulate in the multiple, multiple takes that when he misses the continuity, he obviously meant to do that, too. Mm. Man, we're trashing Kubrick here. I love Kubrick. Kubrick's got great movies. He does. So the car ride there, you can already see the disdain that Jack has for his family with these subtle looks, the way he talks to them when he says to Danny, Well, you should have eaten your breakfast. But then the look on his face when they talk when he talks about the cannibal murders, he's got this like subtle glee on his face that he's telling his child about this. Like the eyebrows dart up, that Jack Nicholson eyebrow dart. He pulls that off really well. I mean, his eyebrows are legendary. Yes, they are. <laughs> yeah, before we move on to when they actually get there, we probably should touch on how Jack and the audience learns about the Grady murders. Well, yeah, that is a big part of the film. <laughs> <laughs> So, Charles Grady basically was just like him, came up to watch over the place, had two daughters, went crazy, killed him and his wife, and then killed himself. And that does sort of set, I mean, we've already really, it goes towards setting the tone, but also does put that seed in everyone's mind that this is what could happen with Jack Torrance. Yeah. I mean, does anyone not expect this to happen who watches this for the first time? I'd be interested to know. Yeah, probably not now. Maybe back in 1980 they certainly did. But it's funny, though, because Jack says, oh, that's great. Like, Wendy will love it. She's a fan of um, horror and ghost stories and stuff. And it's like, yeah, will she, though? Will she, Jack? He doesn't ever tell her, does he? That we see. We never see it. Yeah. But they get to the hotel. They're all packing up, getting ready to go. I love the tracking shot here when they are in the hotel and you see the camera moving around while you've got all these workers moving furniture around. It was very good. Well, this is one of the, if not the first use of the Steadicam. Yes, it is actually. Yeah. And some of those shots that they pull off, like the yeah, following Danny around on the little oh, trike. They're great. They are fantastic. But may as well just mention that now. The sound on those shots are fantastic. When he's going over the carpet and then onto the mm. wood, just in that little noise there, even that is sort of filled with dread and uh, like intense. It was, just, it was weird. Mm. But yeah, they get the tour of the hotel. I love how they mention, oh, this is built on an Indian burial ground. Even, even to the Maybe point where the, Indi- <laughs> the Indians were fighting them off as they did it. Yeah, just to get that little extra note of how much it's cursed. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like that was a big thing, like, built on an ancient Indian burial ground. Yeah. You don't, you don't get a lot a lot of that in horror movies these days, do you? <laughs> but I do like a lot of the, the shots in this film. I noticed a lot of them are symmetrical. Yeah. You have characters walking either directly towards the camera right in the middle of the frame or directly away from the camera, again, right in the middle of the frame. And it does it does make the shots look like pictures. That was half of Kubrick's deal. He needed to make sure that everyone was like pinpoint 
Like the, the the place where he wanted them to be in the middle of the screen needed to be there. If it was like a fraction off, it was like, nah, shot's not good enough. Let's do it again. And that's where all these multiple, multiple takes came from. But they get the tour through the kitchen. We get introduced to Dick Halloran here, Scatman Crothers. Yep. Man, he was rolling out that food. I was getting so hungry. He's like, oh, we got this, we got this. He's, we kept going over everything. I'm like, man, that'd be amazing. I did really like the bit where he's talking to the parents and Danny is talking to him, basically. Yeah. That was good. He sort of looks around like no one else knows what's going on. Even just before that, when he calls him Doc and Wendy's like- That's right. Yeah. How did you know to call him Doc? Surely you could have just gone, I call everyone Doc. <laughs> I mean, that's a good answer, but clearly he's not as quick on his feet. Feet? Yes. That's- Quick-witted? I don't know. Either one is fine. But this conversation here between Danny and Dick about The Shining. Yeah. So Dick says that communicating without speaking is The Shining. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, it's so much more than that. Like, a lot of it is the visions. Yeah, I mean, people can communicate to people without talking. It's called sign language. Yes, it is. Yes. Also, body language. All different types of language. Non-verbal language. I did find it funny how he, he mentions room 237. It's like, there's nothing in there, but don't go in there. There's nothing in there, though, but don't go in Should there. Should not have said it. Yeah. Of course, he's going to go in there. It was interesting uh, that the hotel where the exterior shots were actually taken, because most of this was filmed in a studio, obviously, but the exterior shots, that hotel said, please don't make it room 217, which is what it is in the book. Make it 237 because we don't have a room 237. And they didn't want guests to come and get spooked out by it. In fairness, though, I bet they regretted that because yeah, I feel like- Yeah, that'd be like a big marketing piece, wouldn't it? It'd be huge, it? like, come stay in room- That's stupid. 217. Come on. But we get one month later here. We do. And after we get the, the shot of Danny riding around, we get Wendy being a very caring wife here, brings uh, husband Jack breakfast yeah. at 11.30 in the morning. <laughs> Living the good life, mate. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that scene wasn't in my cut of the film. Oh, so you don't know how he likes his eggs then? Sunny side up? Yes, correct. <laughs> but no, it's it's good because Jack says to Wendy here, this is the happiest and most comfortable he's ever been before. Man, that's going to change in a minute. It will, but I feel like it's it's not a bad thing to have more scenes with Jack and Wendy when he's not being super mean to her. Yeah, you need a bit more of that yeah. before he ultimately turns ridiculous. And he also says that when they first got to the hotel, he experienced something way beyond deja vu, like he's been there before. Mm. Did you get that in your version? No. No. So maybe that lends something to the photo at the, the end of the film. That photo, we'll get to that. That's a big talking point. But Jack, he's trying to write the great American novel here. He just can't write anything. And he's just throwing his ball against the wall. Apparently that was all improvised. Jack Nicholson went and did that all by himself. Apparently the script said that uh, Jack was just not working. That's all it said. So he got a ball and started piffing it against a wall. But Wendy and Danny take a trip into the maze. I love the shot, the shot. where he's looking down at the model of the maze. Yeah. And it zooms in and Wendy and Danny are in there. That's brilliant. Actually, to do that shot, the model of the maze was shot from about six feet above and they had the small central section of the maze was built to scale next to an apartment complex. Shelley Duval and Danny Lloyd then walked around in that central section while the camera filmed it from the roof of the apartment building and then they put that into the shot of the actual maze. Yeah, it's great. And again, one of the best things about this scene, I thought, again, was the music. It's so foreboding. It just really influences the tone of the film in this huge way where what we're watching, like what we're actually watching, isn't scary. But having that dread of the music coinciding with it makes you so tense that even when they just put up the next title card of Tuesday with that, yep. like you, you do a little jump. It's like, ooh. Yeah. It's like, ooh, I'm on edge here. <laughs> Imagine if this movie didn't have the score. It'd be 
It'd be rough. It would be. What about this though? Tuesday comes up and he got Danny ro- roaming down the halls, bumps into the twins. Little quick flashes of the, the dead bodies, all this stuff. Pretty violent. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it's quick flashes. It's like basically blink and you miss it. So it's not like like showing little tiny bits of horror like that will make you frightened even more. Not mm. Don't have the whole thing on there for everyone to see in one go. Little glimpses get you more terrified. Hmm. But now we get this scene here with Wendy and Jack. So Wendy basically goes to see Jack here to see how he's going. And fuck it, this is my... Excellent! Okay, do tell. I just think that this scene is where Nicholson really nailed his performance for me. And I know he gets so much angrier and so much crazier later and there's more showy scenes with it. But I just felt like here it was it wasn't overdone. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you think it was overdone later on? Oh, it's, it's 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 so excessive. It's not as believable that this would happen in real life. Do you know what I mean? It sort of took me out a bit by how crazy Jack was. Okay. As it got further and further out. But I just I just love how he goes from calm to frustrated to angry so smoothly. Like his body language is just telling us so much here from the obvious hit of his forehead to the running of his hands through his hair and positioning of his body towards her and away from his typewriter. And knowing, and this is what I love, because knowing that he's writing nothing of consequence anyway when you watch this adds another layer of tension because you wonder if Wendy's even going to get close enough to read some of it because she's like, oh, what's what's it about and all this stuff? And he's, he's getting, you know, angry and you get nervous for her she hasn't done anything wrong she's just no she's she's, she's been, been great so she's nice like, oh that's all right i'll get you some sandwiches maybe i'll read it later and jack just like tears up sheets of paper in front of her and deval's just like deval yeah deval deval looks on in horror of what's going on here like you really do feel for wendy here then he gives this speech about how you know, if you hear typing i'm working it reminded you know it reminded me of it reminded me of as good as it gets where he's just like my apartment's my office. If I'm in there, I'm I'm working. Don't ever knock. You know, if there's a fire and blah, 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 <laughs> still don't come knocking. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here, when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? So I really like that scene. Oh, very good. Very good scene. Have you ever seen the uh, the deep fake that went around where they put Jim Carrey's face on Jack Nicholson there? No. It looked fantastic. Oh, actually, yeah, I did. Yeah, that was that was a really good one. Hmm. But there you get uh, Wendy and Danny here playing out in the snow, and then you just get Creeper Jack just staring into like out the window. Oh, that hmm. was... A very uh, uncomfortable shot. Yeah, the juxtaposition there is brilliant and it just ruins this nice moment between yeah. a mother and a son. <laughs> now we get to Saturday here. Wendy calling the ranger. Over. Yes, she does say over a lot. Lots of overs. Yeah, I'm glad fine. we don't talk like that anymore. Would make podcasting a bit difficult. Over. <laughs> <laughs> but more Danny going around the motel. Motel? Hotel. Hotel. Yeah. I always get confused by motels and hotels. Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Why can't they just be one? Because they're different. They should be the same. But he bumps into the twins again. <laughs> just casually. Yeah. How's it going? Yep. Get that iconic line. Come and play with us, Danny. Forever. And ever. And ever. But we get a Danny and Jack conversation here in their, in their little room. 
I love how the mirror is set up so that you can see both Danny and Jack's face at the same time here, even though they're looking in different directions. Yeah, no, it is a good scene because you don't really see Jack interacting with his son much at all. No. And when he when he like pulls him over and he hugs him and Danny's just like, like you wouldn't hurt mummy or me, would you? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, did your mum say that? Did your mum say I would hurt you? And I was like, oh, God, kid. Shut no, up, no, kid. I'm joking. <laughs> Super creepy when he also says forever and ever and ever. Like, he just heard that. Mm. Yeah, and he, what do you say? I would never do anything to hurt you. Never. Now, for some reason, I don't believe that. We're a Wednesday now. Do you like these smash hits of days? Yeah, because they're, there's no, like... There's no context. No, exactly. It you goes one know- month later, and then it's, what, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Or vice versa. Like, it doesn't matter. But it's just, it just shows how sporadic it all is. But this is where we get Danny taking a little trip into room 237. The ball that rolls into his toys at this point, the one that Jack was using earlier, this took 50 takes to get right, apparently. It's low for Kubrick. It is. But this is another typewriter scene here where Jack's, he's going further and further into madness here when he tells Wendy about the nightmare he had where he killed them all. You can, you can just see he's gone insane here. And then when Danny comes in with the bruises all over his neck, of course, Wendy's going to be like, you did this. Yeah. Like, even and though Jack, he didn't. Jack looks mystified. He's yeah. like, what are you talking about? He's just so out of it, though. Like, he, he looks like he's gone insane, but in the bad. Like, no, there's no good way of going insane. Like, really bad. And, of course, she's going to think it was him. It's only them three there. Mm. Yeah. So, and what can he, he's got nothing. He's got no leg to stand on. Adding on to the fact that Kubrick wanted to hide Danny Lloyd away from all this terror. That wasn't even Danny. That was just a life-size dummy. But no, we get Jack going into the gold room bar here. Going to speak to old mate Lloyd. <laughs> I like that uh, Jack refers to Wendy as the sperm bank upstairs. It's <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> I, I love the casual transition of the no Lloyd to Lloyd. Like, mm. there's nothing, there's no There's no big deal made of it. He clearly goes in there, there's no one there. You get the, the point of view, you get the, the shot of Jack, you know, he covers his eyes and he looks up, he's like, hey Lloyd. And it just cuts to all the drinks and Lloyd's there. It's not like this, like he's there. It's just casual. In the middle of the conversation, really just shows Jack has just like snapped now. This is where he's at. But he's not homicidal at this point. No. Like he's saying to Lloyd, he's like, ah, you know, I love the little son of a bitch. I wouldn't hurt a hair on his head. So he's not there yet, but he's so angry at Wendy. It's just like, oh, she won't let me forget that bloody shoulder thing. (laughs) Yeah, see, the shoulder thing, this is the first time I'd heard about it in the movie. Oh, what? Really? Yeah, because don't they mention it with the doctor earlier on? Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not in the oh, movie. Okay. Yeah, so when he's like, yeah, he's shoulder, I'm like, what? Yeah, that's I, weird. Luckily, I, I knew about it prior. I've seen this film before. So when it comes, I'm like, I swear this is the first time I'm hearing about it while watching it this time. Oh, okay. It's a weird cut I watched. Mm. I also love it how when Wendy runs in to tell him about what's happened in room 237, that there's nothing there. As soon as she runs in, there's no Lloyd. There's no alcohol. It just, it, without even noticing, it's not, it's not paying attention to that. You just see it in the background that it's not there. So it's not making a big deal at the fact that he is actually hallucinating that when she comes in. I mean, it's pretty obvious though. Yeah, but it doesn't need to be right seeing, in your face. we're seeing it from her point of view now. But it's from a distance. It's from the door of from where the actual bar is. Mm. I do find it funny when she's like, he just a woman attacked Danny in a room. And he's like, which room? I wonder which room. <laughs> yeah. And we see, we see, what's his name? Dick. Dick Halloran. We see Dick shaking. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sorry. And I didn't like the, uh, the, the score here. It was really annoying. It's high pitched. That's the shining he's getting sent to him. Yeah, I didn't like it. And we see Danny like shaking and drooling. You say he, he thought he was just in a standard drama, Danny Lloyd. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing there. 
But Jack goes into room 237. It's the naked lady scene. Yes. And this naked lady, this is a only acting job. Both of them. Yeah, both of them. I mean, you can understand one of them, but... <laughs> Surely it was one an, of them it was... It was an actual get, corpse. Surely one of them was getting calls after this. <laughs> <laughs> nah, definitely uh, super creepy watching this. Yeah, it is. When you see the reveal, like, it's gross. Yeah. It's legitimately disgusting. And even her laugh, her cackle, just yeah. makes it even more horrific. But Jack goes back and says there's nothing in there. He's like, oh... Danny must have done it to himself. Yeah, but I think he's starting to accept the hotel. Like, the spirits are taking taking him in. He doesn't want to let Wendy know what's going on. You know what I mean? He's starting to embrace the hotel and its spirits. Like, what he's yeah, about okay. to tell her now, when she's like, oh, we need to leave, he's like, you, no fucking way. Like, yeah. you, you'll do this to me all the goddamn time. There's no, no way he's going to let her know about all this stuff now. Yeah. But he goes back down to the bar, and there's a party going on here now. Yeah, this is where we're introduced to Dilbert Grady after he spills... Some sort of drink. Yeah, some yellow like liquid. like a custody drink. Nah, it starts with A, but I've forgotten is what it is. Is it an amaretto? No, it's not. I think it has like a an S or C sound somewhere. Nah, I'm done. Okay. Anyway, it gets spilt and they go into the bathroom. Yeah. This bathroom Jeezy. design. Yeah, Jeezy. This bathroom design is fantastic though. Interestingly, I actually read that Kubrick had people go around to hotels like all over the world and take photos of all these different hotels and he incorporated bits yeah. from all around the world into the Overlook. Bloody Kubrick. And this is where it's starting to get a tad crazy here where they, you know, this is the guy who, the original guy who murdered his family. Uh, he's dropping uh, not so subtle hints to Jack here to do the same. You need to correct them. Yeah, and I, I love the quote here from him. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. And I think that definitely plays a lot to the very end scene. Mm. But then we hear that Grady tells Jack that Danny's trying to bring someone to the hotel. Yeah. And he doesn't want to borrow that. What I find fascinating is you do get multiple shots of Dick on his way here to the hotel. Normally in a, in a generic film, this is the guy who's coming to save the day. Like, And I love how it's just nothing. He gets that he's dead. Just yeah. subverts all expectations. Yeah, no, I'm moving ahead a little bit here. but That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that moment, because you're right. You think, okay, this is our saviour. He will, you know, stop Jack, save Wendy. It's the purpose of The Shining. He uses it to con- yeah. To, yeah, to connect with yep. him, to get him there. Gone. Nothing. Instant death. Awesome. Loved it. It was. So that's the end of Dick. We won't be talking about him anymore. Yeah, so Wendy comes into the uh, the big room, I guess, sees the, the typewriter, sees what uh, Jack's work's been like. He's uh, It's been working too hard. Yeah, a bit too hard. It's made him dull. This is my... Excellent! First thing I thought of was you have to have someone actually do that. Yes, it was Kubrick's secretary. Took her weeks. Yes. That poor woman. Man, probably... Or man. Probably created his own little Jack Torrance there after that, eh? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think this is the best scene in the film because it, I feel like the acting is fantastic from both of these actors here. Shelley Duvall shows just how much she's been driven to madness here. She's done nothing wrong and her husband is just at her throat the whole time. And the way Jack just is so, it's like sarcastically horrific at her as well. Well, when he, he repeats the lines that she says to him back to her, yeah. that's so rough. It is. And she's just, she's she's done nothing wrong and she doesn't know what to do here. She's 
keep away from my son. And he's just like, darling, light of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. (laughs) And it's at that point, like, especially when she's backing up the stairs and she is an absolute wreck. It's really mostly because Kubrick pushed her to the point to act like that. Well, apparently she did so many takes that she did the equivalent of walking up the Empire State Building. Yeah, method directing, I guess you could say. <laughs> no, and of course she's she's wary of him. She's swinging the bat at him, like keep away, keep away from me. But once he mentions that that he's going to bash her brains in, that's when she clocks him on the head, and he's down and out. Good on you, Wendy. Can't imagine it would be easy to drag a body, an unconscious body. A Wendy dragging a Jack would be yeah. much harder. Yeah. Yeah, gets him in the fridge though. Just, just he's yeah. he's getting fully conscious by the end of it. So. I love that shot where it's looking up on him as he's like got his head on the door talking to her. Yep, good shot there. Unfortunately, he's already done some damage around the the place, wrecked the uh, the car thing that they were going to take. Snowmobile, the snowmobile. That's the one. So she's not going anywhere, and they seem to be getting a lot uh, minute with their title cards here because now it's four p.m. It's not a Wednesday. It's not Tuesday. It's a, it's actually four p.m. now. But it could be a Wednesday. It could be a, it could be a month later. Who knows? With the way this time travel's going, it'd be pretty cold if it was a month later, wouldn't it? It's true. Was he in a freezer? Fridge. 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 Now here's the area where it probably gets the most confusion. If you think it's spirits or if you think it's actually people there. I mean, there's no question for me. Someone has opened it. It's not Wendy or Danny. It's it's Grady. Yeah. So there's they they're not in his head. No, they are, now they're not. Now yeah. that you know that he's been let out of the fridge. So, yeah. And like Wendy sees some of them later anyway. Yeah, see, I I think all that part of it is a bit ridiculous, but we'll get to that in a minute. Looks like Tony's taken over Danny here now as he's chanting this bloody red rum in the most horrific way possible. This was this was rough to watch. Great red acting. Rum, red rum, red rum, like That shit. was good. That was good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> He said it so many times, it just got ingrained in my head. And I love how she wakes up and she sees murder in on the it. mirror. Yeah, it's good. And then bang, here comes Jack smashing down the door. The camera work on this is insane. The one where it's right at the door on the other side. No, the one where Jack is swinging the axe. Oh, and it's gone. It's panning back and forth. And with him. in in one shot, you'll have Jack on the far left of the screen, and then he as as he swings his axe back. He goes to far right, yeah. and then as he brings it forward, he's far left again. So what it does is really accentuates the swinging yeah, from the back and forth, back yeah. and forth. Like the camera's really, yeah, it's really, really good. In fact, the props department built doors that could very easily be broken, but because Jack Nicholson had worked as a volunteer fire marshal before, he tore it apart way too easily. So they had to build a couple more stronger doors for him to give a bit more oomph. A mm. couple of great lines here, though. Wendy. I'm home. I think some of these are very iconic, especially... I mean, there's only one. Here's Johnny. <laughs> but all the... Oh, huff. And no, That's great. Huff. That is so great. But the whole thing where, let's get out the window, you get Danny out there, and then Wendy's trying to get out in this tiny little hole. I feel like you could have lifted that window up a little bit more. It looked like she had it half open. I'm sure it was just stuck. Could have been. You don't, think, icy, she's, maybe you don't frozen. think she's that dumb that she didn't think to open the window a bit more, Hendo? Maybe she's just so scared out of her mind, she's just not thinking properly. Hmm. Yep, but apparently that whole here's Johnny scene took three days to film and they used 60 doors in the end. Nice. How funny does Wendy run, though, with the knife later? Yeah, it's like weak as piss. It is the worst. <laughs> so you may well not have the knife. <laughs> You're just dangling it in your hand. <laughs> Yeah, one thing that really bugged me about the film is that she gets Danny to go out the window and obviously he slides down the the snow slope. So he's outside. Yet when she runs out the room, she's going to find him. She goes upstairs. 
Like, why is she doing that? Unclear. Almost as unclear as this bear sucking off this Grady guy. I don't think it was Grady. Was it Grady? I thought it was no, Grady. It wasn't Grady. Just some guy? Yeah. What's your interpretation of this scene, Dean? It's weirdness for the sake of weirdness. And here's the problem. There is this sort of stuff in the book, but it's fleshed out more. Here, it's just this bizarre imagery that we know nothing about. Yeah, I didn't like it. And I don't like that Wendy sees this stuff. I wish it was just kept to Jack. I know we've seen that someone has let him out of the fridge, but there is still there is some sort of ambiguity here with his visions and what he's seeing. Having her see it, just, I don't know, it, it, it made it more confusing and I wish that they just kept it to Jack himself. Yeah, maybe he, she has some elements of The Shining. Well, Jack doesn't have The Shining. How do you know? He never uses it. He never references it that he has it. He's just doing visions of the spirits in the hotel. I agree. Thank you. <laughs> That's a rarity. But we're at Jack chasing Danny through the maze. I think this all looks fantastic. Yeah, it does. Interestingly, it's not actually snow, which no, I not. found very odd. It's actually uh, salt, crushed salt and crushed polystyrene. Yep. And apparently it was really hot on set. Yeah. <laughs> so they're all like layering up coats and stuff as though they're in the snow. But really, they're all sweating like pigs. Apparently it took about a month to shoot because uh, during the shoot, the crew members would get lost in the maze. So they had to communicate through the walkie-talkies to get back out. But little Danny here, he's a smart motherfucker, isn't he? Take a couple of back steps in the snow. Yep. Right under him. Jack couldn't figure it out in time. It was weird, though, because Jack sort of gets this look like, oh, he's got an idea, but he doesn't. Like he His just, idea is to keep going. To keep running around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Danny uses his wits and he gets out of there in time where poor Jack dies of hypothermia. And that, that shot. Quick that shot. That froze up. And I, do you get a blimp but when the when the mm. thing comes up? Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a chilling scene. Stop it. <laughs> but here is the final shot. Yep. The slow pan into this old photo with a younger Jack Nicholson in front of all these people in 1921. That that photo was actually from a 1921 photo and yep. they just airbrushed Jack Nicholson's face onto it. Yeah. Now, I did look up some info on what this may particularly mean. And in an interview, Kubrick overtly declared that the photograph suggests that Jack was a reincarnation of an earlier official at the hotel. Still, like the same with Room 237, this has not stopped interpreters from developing alternate readings, such as the one that Jack had been absorbed into the Overlook Hotel. As he died, his spirit got absorbed into all the past people who had probably died there, perhaps. That's weird. Do you have any other suggestions as to what it would be? Maybe it's just like a, a wink from Kubrick trying to get people to think about it. Like, what does that mean? Oh, end of the film. I'm sure. I mean, obviously, a lot of people have had their own interpretations about it. And I wouldn't mind hearing some uh, theories from you guys out there. So, why don't you get a hold of us on Twitter and see and let us know what you think that final photograph means. Any last words? All right, mate. What's your final thoughts on The Shining? Yeah, I've seen The Shining a number of times now. It's. I, mean, I don't think it's a scary movie. I see a lot of people saying it's all oh, one of the scariest movies. I've, I've never been scared watching this film. Have you? No. No. I think the performances and the direction is obviously what shines in this. The camera shots are fantastic. But really, it is Jack Nicholson who carries this film. He's mesmerizing in this. Shelley Duvall, I'll be honest, I know she went through hell. And I know that, you know, she did act very distraught. But she annoyed me. She's just so weird looking. It's off-putting. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the kid the kid was good. All the all the eerie stuff was good too. That room 237 scene was fantastic as well. So for me, I'll give it four stars. What about you, Hendo? Yeah, for me, this is I think this is the third time I've seen this film. The the, the last two times 
were absolutely incredible. I love The Shining so very much. Jack Nicholson puts in a, a fantastic performance. I don't think he ever gets too over the top. The level of craziness he gets to when he gets engulfed by these spirits as they basically coerce him to do this, I think it plays well. I don't think Shelley Duvall was annoying in this film. I think she played the grieving wife who is getting tormented by her husband to the point where she's getting attacked by a, a guy trying to kill her the way she should have. I think Danny Lloyd is really good as the kid. I think he puts in a really great performance for what he has to do in this film in regards to the evil spirits that he sees and the shining. The cinematography, the way some of these shots are done are pristine. The score in this it just gives you this haunting dread the entire way through this film. It gives you that unnerving tension that really amps up the the horror nature of this film. I do find some of the supernatural things a little bit too out there and sort of contradict what they're doing throughout this film. But overall, for me, this is a four and a half star film. Very generous, Hendo. He gave it four. Why is it so generous I added an extra half to it? Because it was almost three and a half. Well, it wasn't. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, mate, where does it sit on your rankings? Okay, well, let's look at my number 29 film, my lowest-ranked four-star film currently, A Beautiful Mind. It is better than A Beautiful Mind. Next up, we have Grand Budapest Hotel at 28. Yeah, I think it's probably better than that. Next up, The Thing at 27. That's where it's going to stop. I do think The Thing is better than The Shining. Fair enough. Well, let's start at my number 26 against Logan, and I think it's better than Logan. I also think it's better than It's a Beautiful Life. Then it gets to Casino, and I think it's better than Casino too. I also think it's better than Stand By Me. And then we get to the last breakdown we did, Alien. And I think it's better than Alien, but that's where it's going to stop. I don't think it's better than The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So The Shining is my new number 22. Very good. All right, mate, it's time for this week's podcast promo shout-out, and it's from Robin Sean at Movie Geek and Proud. We just had Rob on last week for our Pod V Pod V Pod. And what I like about these guys is the message that they send out, that be proud of your choices and the movies that you like. Don't It doesn't matter if other people think that a movie that you like isn't good. It's your it's your opinion. Yeah, and in today's age of social media and, you know, keyboard warriors, a lot of people are, you know, they get ridiculed for it. And, you know, fuck those guys. Have your own picks and go with it. That's fine. So, no, I do really like this podcast. Yeah, completely agree, mate. We'll play their promo now and we'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Sean. And we are Movie Movie Geek Geek and and Proud, a movie podcast where two gay movie geeks review current and older movies of all genres, good and bad. We also pick titles and share our opinions on films that are either not well-known or guilty pleasures. But we are proud of our tastes and encourage all other movie geeks to do the same. And it's not just movie reviews on our show. We play games, trivia, movie drafts. We have guests come on and even the occasional skit. (laughs) You can listen to our show on your favorite podcast apps, including SoundCloud, Podbean, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at MGNP Podcast. And remember, every movie has at least one fan. You're so cheesy. What? How's that cheesy? And every movie does not have at least one fan. Uh, I say it does, and you can't prove it doesn't. You can't prove it does. Yes, I can. That's why we're doing this show. It's like every time you want to start with me, I don't understand. No, you can't. Yes, you can. I'm telling you, they always have to do... You always do this. Movie Geek and Proud. A new episode every Wednesday.
Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Amazing! And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can follow us on Twitter at Twitter dot com slash imdb journey our facebook page at facebook.com slash imdb journey our letterbox pages where we keep our film diaries up to date i am at letterbox.com slash dino underscore j 88 really rolls off the tongue and you can find hendo at letterbox.com slash hendo exactly another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on itunes for us and like we've said if you screenshot your review and dm us on twitter or facebook we'll send you out some sweet merch we've actually got a new review this week and it's from our awesome patron, Christoph, at the Rough House Podcast. He says, Stumbled upon these guys on Twitter and was drawn into their online tawnies. Once I finally listened to the show, I was hooked. The gents have a great rapport and are hysterical together. It's also a great gimmick for a podcast. Not to mention that Pod v Pod is not something that on paper should work as well as it does, but it's my favourite. It's the first podcast I've signed up for Patreon for too. It's worth every penny. Five stars. Highly recommend. Wow, thanks so much. Thank you very much, Chris. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on a top 250 list. Yeah, we've actually got over 50 episodes on there now. We've gone through some notable directors' filmographies, such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino. That's right, there's also tons of other benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put up on the regular. Yeah, exactly. You can also shape the show the way you want it to be by telling us what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate? Well, Dean, we're deep into our 2008 Oscar series and we're tackling Frost Nixon. Yeah, so I've seen this one before and I really liked it. So it was a few years ago, obviously, and I'm keen to go back to it. Yeah, I watched it earlier on this year because the patrons picked the film for me to watch. So it's going to be good to go back and watch it a second time this year and just really break it down. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, Dean, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And... This could be it. And we've got a lot of reviews for The Shining. Let's start off on our Twitter from Rob Manafield. I love The Shining. I love everything about it, from its simple yet terrifying score to that overwhelming sense of impending dread as you watch Jack Torrance's descent into madness. And it's a beautifully shot movie to boot. A masterpiece. Next up from Cecil Hops. Kubrick does great with the tension and presentation. The only bad thing in it is that Jack starts off creepy and just gets more and more creepy, but you already get the vibe that he's one bad day away from killing his entire family. Is that a little uh, killing joke reference there, Hendo? I don't know. You're the Joker fan. It is. Still on my top 10 horror movies list, 4 out of 5. Alright, here's one from Chris. As I finally saw this film on the big screen, it looked amazing. Even though I've watched it more, it continues to draw me in. All the actors were great. Jack's vibe could be down to his issues with not drinking alcohol. I mean, maybe? Next up from Louis Ream. Due to Jack Nicholson's overacting casting a shadow across the screen, The Shining wasn't quite the bright spot of entertainment for me. Checking into the Overlook Hotel just the once without wanting my money back is all I can muster. It's perhaps my least favourite Kubrick film. How dare you, Louis? Next up is Colby Mack. Colby! Just saw it for the first time ever. What? <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> and I have to say, I get why it's so beloved. 
I wish I would have seen it when I was a kid to really let the style and effects work on me more, but it's very impressive and a classic haunting. Next up from Julio at The Contrarians. Took me several years to truly appreciate it. It's a good horror movie, but I understand why King was disappointed by the adaptation, as it really shortchanged Jack as a character. It's all about interpretation. Ryan Alteri says a masterful depiction of the effects of isolation told through an immersive, visually stunning story of a terrifying descent into madness. All right, let's head over to our Patreon for our lovely, lovely patrons. First up from Ben Mulverhill, another one of my all-time favorites. A faultless film for me and definitely in the top three horrors. Next up from Hayden Gerloff, The Shining is a fantastic film full of genuine terror and dread. Jack Nicholson gives an absolute powerhouse of a performance, one of Kubrick's must-sees. Here's one from the Rough House podcast. Kubrick crafted a gorgeous, tense nightmare of stir-crazy telepathy and being really bad at mazes. Nicholson will always be remembered for his axe-wielding and attempt at murdering his family. But really, its lasting legacy is Treehouse of Horror. No TV and no beer make Homer something-something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! Alright, I've had enough. Thank you. All right, next up here from Josephine Olnitz. Yeah, I'm sorry, but The Shining is all style and no substance and misogynistic as hell. Kubrick mistreated Charlie Duvall horribly and the result was an annoying and insulting performance. So what the fuck? It can't even be excused with getting a great result out of it. Not that that is an excuse ever. Stephen King was really offended. This was not the woman he wrote at all and also said that Wendy in the film might be the most misogynistic character ever put on film. The Overlook is scary in all its gaudy style and the cinematography is great. The score is good, but that's it. The characters are poorly developed and unfolded. Jack Torrance already seems crazy from the beginning, so the descent into madness is not really surprising or engaging to me. Kubrick is surely no Spielberg when it comes to casting child actors. Jeez, that kid is so annoying. I feel bad for Charlie Duvall, but I don't care about these characters at all. And oh my god, woman, do something other than scream. All in all, I think this movie is ridiculously overrated like many of Kubrick's films are. For example, another very bad <laughs> adaption is Lolita and the outrageously pretentious and boring 2001 A Space Odyssey. Man, firing on all cylinders at the moment. Not a Kubrick fan, our patron Josephine. I get why some people like this, but I will never understand how anyone can have this as their favourite movie, and I feel bad for them if they do, considering how many wonderful and truly great movies with amazing characters there are in this world. Boom. Mic drop. Tell it like it really is, Josephine. On the other side of the spectrum, Chris Beadsall. The Shining is my favourite film of all time. <laughs> Ooh. Patron war. I've lost count with how many times I've seen it, and it's an absolute must-watch every Halloween season. I love horror, and this is one of the few horror films out there that genuinely feels evil. Kubrick is a master, and he brought out the best in Nicholson and Duval. Everyone who worked in this production bought their best. What stands out to me the most is the cinematography and the score. I love me those wide shots, and when combined with the music, you can't help but be filled with dread. I know this film deviates from the book in some aspects, and that King himself has had harsh words for the film, but I don't care. He's wrong, and this is a masterpiece. Well, there you go. Now, thank you very much, everyone, for your reviews there, but of course we have... I thought about watching the miniseries before this review, but decided that wouldn't be completely fair, as I already know the miniseries' existence has automatically downgraded this movie. The novel was a hit. This film was a hit. I've never been a huge fan of it. The jump cuts to the blood elevator and those twin girls are just a bit silly to me. 
I can say this is at least a good movie, but kind of overlong and sort of boring. Production is excellent. Charlie Duvall is trying. Jack Nicholson, though, is just too over the top. The miniseries notably captures Jack Torrance's gradual transformation from a well-meaning father to abusive monster, whereas in this film, Nicholson is completely unlikable from the outset. The locations are great, the hotel and its grounds are quite memorable, more could have been done to make the story more interesting, as we saw in the miniseries. But forgetting about that, I still like the film. Three and a half stars. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Shane. Thanks, Shane. All right, Dean, let's get to... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you is, what is your favourite Stanley Kubrick film? Now, let's go through some responses to the films that aren't either of our number ones, Dean. First up here from Friends and Flayers. You guys aren't making this easy for me. I can't decide between Full Metal Jacket or Dr. Strangelove. I suppose if I'm forced to choose, which you are... My love for Peter Sellers outweighs my love for Vietnam War movies. So strange love it is. Next up from Jeff Costello, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. I like that film. It's nice. I do too. I've only seen it once. Me too. But it's good. Richard M. says, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Jane the Unicorn says, Full Metal Jacket. Solid film. Emma says, definitely, without a doubt, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Solid. Solid film. Felix Matter Society. Difficult question. Barry Lyndon, I think. But almost every film of Kubrick's is a masterpiece. Daniel N. says, Eyes Wide Shut. I was wondering if we were going to get an Eyes Wide Shut on this. Might get more than one. Now I don't need to wonder anymore. Next up, from Carbon Unit, Gregorius. That is a good name. Full Metal Jacket. That's a good film. Tyrone Holmes says, Spartacus. Hmm. Never seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. I hear it's quite solid, though. (laughs) Next up, from the New Horror Express, somewhat predictably, The Shining. I don't think it is predictable. Oh, not with Kubrick. Absolutely not. Cod Rogan, eyes wide shut, greatly underrated. Jeffrey Michael Bayes says, 2001, A Space Odyssey. What's the 2001 so far? Here's one from B. Garner. Oh, so hard. Personally, I'll always have a soft spot for Paz of Glory. Something different here, Brandon Shea says, The Killing. Haven't seen The Killing. Sarah says, Dr. Strangelove. Pirate Scott says Spartacus. And our last one on Twitter from Ted Cogswell, The Killing. As we move on over to our Facebook page, we had from Chris Waldridge, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Over to our lovely, lovely patrons, The Rough House Podcast says Dr. Strangelove. David Power says The Shining. Dan Brenning from the Netflix and Swill Podcast goes with Full Metal Jacket. Chris Beardsell says The Shining is a clear number one for me, but ranking the rest of Kubrick's films would be very difficult. Well, you'll see how difficult it is in a couple of seconds. Ben Mulverhill says The Shining. And lastly, here on our patron page from Josephine Onitz, Barry Lyndon. Pretty much the only Kubrick film that I actually like. It's mesmerising. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, everyone, for your responses. But, Dean, let's get to our top five Stanley Kubrick films. All right, Dean, as usual, we'll kick it off with you. What is your number five? Eyes wide, shut, boom. Really? Yeah, really. What about you? My number five, Doctor Strange Life, or how I ended up wearing a little more. Yeah, I didn't like it, so that was never making my list. Uh, whatever. Maybe we'll have a different list this time then. Is Doctor Strange Life on the top 250? It is. Ugh. I mean, I'm sure there's worse films that you're going to uh, about over the course of the next, what, eight years? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. My number four, The Shining. Dun, dun. Interesting. My number four is Barry Lyndon. Hmm. My number three, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm, didn't make my list. I'm not surprised. I need to see that film again, honestly. Hmm. My number three, The Shining. My number two, Full Metal Jacket. That is my number two as well. And my number one, 
in Canada. And my number one. Like, we haven't mentioned this film. <laughs> I know, it's film. the only Kubrick film. <laughs> well, yeah, hang on, it's the only Kubrick film we have mentioned. My number one's are Fear and Desire. <laughs> no, it is obviously a clockwork orange. Absolutely, definitely number one for sure. Did we have a lot of responses saying a clockwork orange this week, Hendo? We had 13 people out of roughly 100. All right. Why don't we go ahead and see who wins this week's sweet, sweet merch. Stop taking my lines. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pull the name out. And we've got Ian Bullock-Luck. Well done, buddy. Awesome. Well done. We'll get in contact with you and we'll send you out some. Sweet, sweet merch. Very good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right, for next week's question of the week, it's going to be a random one here. Dean, why don't you choose a number between 1 and 50? 21. Ooh, we've gone with, what is your favourite space film? Okay, that's good. Yeah, a lot of good choices. There is. Maybe a film from this year. If you're I in don't doubt it. <laughs> We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, Dean, it's time to find out the results of the latest Pod V Pod V Pod movie draft against Rob from Movie Geek and Proud, Drew from the Real Fields podcast, and also Mike from the Mike, Mike and Oscar podcast in their draft on horror films. All right, let's run through the teams here. Rob had Candyman. Night of the Living Dead, Get Out, It Follows, and Insidious. And Drew was team two, and he had Aliens, Nightmare on Elm Street, Train to Busan, Cabin in the Woods, and The Descent. And also Mike had The Shining, Halloween, Scream, The Sixth Sense, and The Thing. All right, let's take a look at some responses here. First one from Gerald from Two Peas in a Podcast. Wow, Mike got The Shining, Halloween, and Scream. Were the other two teams asleep? <laughs> Shots fired. Paul at the Countdown Podcast says, Holy shit, Drew, take a bow. That's an incredible lineup. TV Worth Watching says, I voted for Team Rob. Get Out was so good. Haven't seen anything like it in a long while. I did think Us was much overrated in comparison. So glad you didn't include that. Dale Bauhaus says, Very difficult choice for me between Drew and Mike, but Aliens is my fave, so gotta go Drew. Awesome patron David Powell says, Tough call, but gotta go with Team Drew. That's a solid lineup. Will the real horror show please stand up? Says Team Mike. Anything else is wrong. Well, well, there you go. <laughs> Sam at the Movie Reviews and 20Qs podcast says, How's the thing last? Anyway, well done, Team Mike. The mayor of Nilbog says, Team Drew. <laughs> Every movie picked was top shelf. On the other teams, both It Followed and The Shining are so overrated. Jeff Hammer says, Team Mike, but Drew made it a race. And lastly here from the Blood Buddies Horror Podcast, we went with Team Mike, but that was such a hard pick. All right, let's take a look at the results, Dean. Third place was unfortunately Rob with 8% of the vote. You struggled a bit in this draft. Yeah. He called it though. He did call it, but it was between Drew and Mike and it went back and forth a couple of times there along the way. But uh, what was the result, mate? So we had Drew unfortunately coming in second with 32% and Mike, take a bow, 60%. Yes. Killed it. Killed it. Well done, mate. Very well done. And thank you to all three for coming on and having a good battle. A lot of good fun, wasn't it, Dean? Yeah, no, it was great. So we thank you again for that and uh, we look forward to battling you ourselves in the uh, near future, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully we get that 60% victory against Mike Mike. <laughs> There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! Dean, it's time to find out the next set of matches in our best 2000s film tournament. All right, we've got 10 more matches here to see which films are going to drop into the final 32. Let's take a look. First one, number 31, There Will Be Blood, against number 34, Gran Torino. Ooh, that could be close, that one. Next match, Three Idiots up against In the Mood for Love. I've only seen one of those, and I'll tell you now, I'm going to vote for the other one. (laughs) 
Fair enough. Here's, here's this one. This is going to be a, a really close match here. Requiem for a Dream against Manabai MBBBS. You did that really well. Thank you. Good pronunciation. Next up, we have a beautiful mind taking on Into the Wild. You're a big uh, Into the Wild stan, aren't you? I am. Love Into the Wild. Batman Begins against Hachi. What are you going to do with this? Oh, my two children. How do you pick? <laughs> <laughs> Next up, V for Vendetta against Kill Bill Volume 1. Damn, that is a good match. I think I know I was going to win there. What about this one? Old Boy against Infernal Affairs. Mm. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind takes on Lagan once upon a time in India. Going to be a close match, is it? No. Lagan for sure? Lagan. Yeah, definitely. It's Lagan to the next round. What were you trying to do there? Like going, like like going. It's Laganing. <laughs> anyway, moving on from that terrible joke. Pan's Labyrinth against Catch Me If You Can. And lastly here, up against Hotel Rwanda. All right, those are our matches for this week. Get out there and vote and get your favourites into the round of 32. So, what's next? All right, Dean, it's time to find out what we're watching next time. What do you got for us? I went with... Oh, oh, wait a minute. Can can you hear that? It sounds like the faint sounds of Paul and Wayne come back to haunt us. Yep, it's happened. Paul has dropped in his request after my what? movie challenge boss. Get off it. <laughs> God damn it. I was all excited, Hendo. Well, let's take a look at what he's, what he's put in. Hello Hendo, hello Dean, this is Paul for the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews Podcast and hello to all the IMDB journeyers and I'm here today to lord it over Hendo having won this year's Movie Watching Challenge first to 500 films viewed, got there first and so my reward is to get to pick for the boys the next film that they're going to do for the show. So I've had a long hard look at what they've done, had a long hard look at what's left on the IMDB Top 250 list and my eyes were immediately drawn towards the bottom of the list where we had a whole new bunch of entries in Bollywood cinema. Now, I know how big a fan Dean is of these films, so maybe this is a bit more of a punishment for him than it is for Hendo. How is that but fair? Of all the films that are there and the ones which, you know, those, they're accessible. This one is on Netflix, you'll be very pleased to know, but I'm going for number 223 on the IMDb, Top 250, Lagan. Once upon a time in India, a PG-rated three-hour and 44-minute adventure drama musical, which has this storyline. The people of a small village in Victorian India stake their future on a game of cricket against the ruthless <laughs> British rulers. What entertainment. I can't imagine how awesome this is going to be. I'm so excited for the both of you to watch this one before me <laughs> and let me know how you go. I can't do it. I can't do it. I was half serious there when I started, but I can't actually go through oh, it. Wow. No, what I really want to hear you guys talk about, and I legitimately 100% this time really am, number 71 on the list, one of the greatest films of all time as far as I'm concerned. Woe betide the two of you if either of you don't like this film. I'm talking about James Cameron's classic sequel, Aliens, from 1986. That's wow. my pick. Have fun. Special edition, straightforward edition, whatever you guys like. Just want to hear you break this one down. I think it's going to be a hell of an episode. Thank you so much for letting me choose this one for you this week. And uh, thanks again, Hendo, for participating in the Movie Watching Challenge. It was a hell of a competition. And uh, we won't be doing it again next year because I am getting married. And if I want that to continue, it will not be happening. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks so much for the great show you do. Looking forward to this episode and a whole lot more beyond it. Cheers. Thanks again. Wow. Well... I legitimately was getting ready for the three-hour 40 <laughs> cricket musical in Bollywood. Damn. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, for thanks for the not- massive psych out. <laughs> <laughs> you really had a heart attack. 
Oh, boy. All right. Aliens. Yeah. Comes fittingly off our breakdown of Alien. For sure. Absolutely. All right. You'll uh, keep your pick on the back burner for a little, while, a little while longer, shall we? Yes, let's do that. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you very much, everyone, for checking it out. But for next week, it is Pod v Pod 29. We've got another awesome guest lined up just around the corner. It's going to be another epic battle. Let's see if we can uh, flex our trivia knowledge again, Dean. Yes, well, we obviously lost the last one we participated in, quite embarrassingly, but that was all about horror. And now that we've moved on from that, we can, uh, as you say, flex our muscles. Yes, absolutely. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out the episode. And we will see you next week for Pod v Pod 29. Bye.